You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. We're talking about Difference Maker, and uh, I love what Dennis said last week, that we have to take responsibility for our lives. He had us look in our hands and create a mirror. If you weren't here, it's real simple. You could do it anytime you want. Create a mirror in your hand, hold it up, and say these words, I am the problem. So uh, I, I did that. I received four text messages this week from people that said, Pastor Bernie, look in your mirror and remember you are the problem. <laughs> Thanks for the love. You know what I mean? <laughs> so here's what we've said so far. If you've been with us, if not, we'll summarize. God is a giver, is he not? Yes. And God gives through his people. And God gives through people who have determined to be generous. Remember, takers and givers. Givers have as many legitimate needs as takers. They've just determined to be givers. And then we saw last week, God gives to people who develop, based on Philippians 3, a holy ambition to follow after God. This has been our verse, Acts 20, verse 24. Let's read it with our best 948 voice, right? But my life is worth unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and kindness and love. I think if ever this, this verse is poignant, it would be now. People need to know about the kindness and the love of God. I don't know, um, when you watch sports, and especially if you watch football, uh, you'll hear, I did Friday night, I, I didn't attend the Lompoc Braves game, and I, I couldn't go to homecoming for Cabrillo, but I, I listened to, in the car as I was uh, driving about, I listened to the radio broadcast of the Lompoc Braves versus Pioneer Valley game. Uh, it was 59 to 10, and um, that was against the third string uh, in the fourth quarter. So Lompoc, if you wonder who won, Lompoc won. And here's what the announcer said. Here's what the announcer, Greg Radcliffe, who's a friend of mine, said. He said, uh, Johnny Manzo, he's a playmaker. He's a playmaker. Later on, he said, uh, Toa Tawa, who was in our last service, he's, he's a playmaker. He's a playmaker. You ever heard that phrase? Yeah. You can even watch the NFL, you know, you'll hear an announcer say, that guy, the playmaker. Wherever they go, they, they, they make plays. Do you know people like that where you work or maybe uh, in your neighborhood or the organizations you're a part of besides LFC? Do you know any playmakers? I mean, they just, they're at the right place at the right time and they're not concerned about who gets the credit. They're just, they're just making plays. They're just making a difference. I think about the tragedy in Las Vegas and how many people um, shielded others. Uh, we would call them heroes. Uh, a few people that we know of lost their lives while they were shielding others from the gunfire that came from the 32nd floor. Uh, I don't know if you'd call them a playmaker, but, but their family would probably say they were at the right place at the right time, and, and we're grateful uh, for their sacrifice. I want to cue in on a lady today from the Bible, very, very familiar story for most of us, that comes out of 1 Kings. But here's the story in summary before we, we go there. God gives through people who are open and obedient to him. Before we get to the story of this gal in, uh, in 1 Kings, I want to show you a quick video clip, if we have that, a quick video clip of a young lady who did not allow her age to be a detriment to being open and obedient to what God wanted her to do. So take a look at this. 
I've always kind of had this idea that missions work is for, you know, adults, you know, going on mission trips, you know, I'm just a high school student, you know, what could I do to make a difference or to be involved in the kingdom of God? Well, a ministry I've been involved in the past couple of years has been the Special Friends Ministry, which is a ministry for kids and adults with special needs. I went with my family as a volunteer. We would be buddied with someone with special needs and then go with them throughout the whole week and have fun. I was buddied with the sibling of a special needs child. She was five years old. And it was kind of difficult getting used to the fact that I was the only one with her that would look after her needs and things like that. As the week went on, I grew more comfortable. We played, we had a great time each day. She had such fun with all the activities we did. And I think, you know, she learned to trust me at the end of the week. She would sit on my lap and I'd give her piggyback rides. I think that bond was really rewarding after being so nervous at first. I went back the year after that. I had a really good time the first year. And so both those experiences really kind of helped me to kind of relax and go with, you know, what God's leading me to do. The experience encouraged me to go into the Special Friends Ministry in our church, not to stop there right after the mission trip, you know, and just leave it at that, you know, but to continue with what I've learned and experienced. I think after being stretched in those things, those were both out of my comfort zone. I realized I can be involved with uh, the special needs ministry where I am. 16 years old as a high school student, uh, I don't have to be grown up. I don't have to be 25 or 30 or 50. I can do it right now. And that's what God's called me to do. Isn't that a great story? I don't have to be 25 or, or 50 or old like you, right? Come on. I watched that several times in the very beginning. She says, um, I wonder if I was old enough basically to contribute, if I could make a difference. And the story today that we're going to look at is from this widow woman. The background is there's famine in the land. There's drought in the land. And cutting to the chase, her situation is, is so terrible that she's going to make a little cake, a little piece of bread for her and her son. They're going to eat it and die. It doesn't get much worse than that. And so here's the story uh, from verse 8. It says, the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath and Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to the widow who was gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, um, would you bring me a little water? Now, it was customary if someone came to your house that you brought them water. Of course, in the New Testament, it's customary you bring them water and you'd use water to wash their feet. But pretty big issue if you're going to bring water to someone when there's a drought and there's no water. It hasn't rained in a long time. And as he was going to get it, he, he called and said, oh, by the way, bring me a piece of sourdough bread. I added that in there, sourdough bread. And as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replies, I, I, don't, I don't have it. I'm too young to make a difference. I, I'm too old to make a difference. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough talents. I don't have enough treasures. I I don't have any bread. What you're asking of me, I don't have. I just have a little flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks. I'm going to make a little fire. I'm going to heat this up, this, this oil and, and flour, and, and we're going to have a meal for myself and my son. And then here, here's the prognosis. We're going to go die. And Elijah said to her, don't what? Be afraid. Be, be afraid. 365 times in the Bible it tells us, Fear not, don't be afraid. There's one for every day of the year. Don't, don't be afraid. 
And don't you want to say, if you're in this story, are you crazy? People are dying all around us. Don't be afraid. We don't have any water, yet you want the last of the water that we could find. We, we don't have enough food. We're going to make a small little cake of bread and we're going to die. And you want the bread? He says, don't be afraid. I, I don't know who needs to hear that word today, not from me, but, but from the Scripture, from the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Yeah, but you, Pastor, you don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstance. Then I would just whisper to you, really, really, really kind, not loud, I would just whisper to you, and you don't know my God. If I don't know your situation or circumstance, I would just say, then you don't know my God. Because my God is greater than anything we face. His grace abounds where sin abounds. His mercy is greater than all injustice, all evil, all hatred. He said, the jar of oil will not be used up and the jug will not run dry until the, the day of the Lord and the Lord gives rain on the land. It doesn't mean much until you study this and find out it didn't rain for two more years. But for two years, this lady is going to go to her flower jug and pull out more flour. She's going to go to her bottle of uh, EVOO and she's going to keep pouring out all, for two years. Hey, mom, what you got? Oh, more oil. Where'd it come from? I don't know, son. Don't ask. Uh -huh. You have more flour, mom. You, the last tablespoon is gone. No, you have, to, you have to put yourself in this story. For two years, there's water, there's oil, and it did not go dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. Here's some lessons for you. God enjoys doing a lot with a little. God enjoys doing a lot with a little. This is not a story I, I've told often. You've heard many of my church building stories and all that stuff. It bore you to death. When I was pastoring here 14 months, four, four, 14 months, the denomination called and said, we, we have a church for you. Now think about it. New pastor, the guy before me was here 13 years. I'm here 14 months, and they want me to go to a different church. Um, we had about, oh, 230 people. This church had between 900 and 1,000. This church was, was trying to financially get on its feet. That's all I'll say. We had a Christian school that ran in the red. Deep red, dark red. Yeah. We had parents that wouldn't pay their school bill. What do you do with that? Huh? Oh, I'm the new pastor. Oh, slash principal. So I call, <clears throat> I call a family and I say, this is Principal Fetterman. <laughs> um, you're three months behind on your school bill. <clears throat> what are you going to do about that? Oh, nothing. Pastor. I said, no, Principal Fetterman here. No, Pastor Bernie. You, you, would, you would never kick our child out of your church school, would you? I said, no, but I have to pay the teachers and the curriculum, and the church can't support the school. Hello? Some lady came last year. Are you going to start a school again? I said, no. <laughs> I, I ran that school six years. No, thank you. We kept it open for six years after I got here. Yeah, rough time. So 
Foursquare calls and says, hey, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you go? Take this church. It was three times the salary. Would you have prayed about it? No, seriously, three times the salary. And they provided the pastor with a car. Every four years, he got to lease a new car. It's kind of cool. And uh, had a gymnasium. I'd sure like one. And I, and I sat, back, but, but here's, here's, here's what one of the leaders said. Um, old building. You, you'll never be able to build on your lot. The church will never have more than 400 people. And your influence will be limited. You go ahead and stay there if you want. This is one of my leaders, right? You go ahead and stay there if you want. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Actually, after Debbie and I was, were offered, we drove in front of the old sanctuary and stood there, and we cried out to God. And my heart literally broke for this city. I, I really became the pastor 14 months after I got here. And the old building was there, and, and the cracks in the stucco, and the termites were singing songs. And, <laughs> and, I, and I heard this, this phrase, I will do a lot with a little. You watch. I said, okay. And then it was like God inviting me and my wife into the process of seeing what God, what, what God would do. This woman in this story didn't have enough. Matter of fact, she just had enough to go eat, go to sleep, and die. But when we place what is in our hands in God's hands, then he can do extraordinary things. He, he takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. He has done stuff with this church. He's done stuff with, with your generosity that is beyond what we understand. See, this story is about a woman willing to be obedient and release what she had. And I, I don't even try to, to, to blend my story with her story, but she chose not to miss the hand of God and the opportunity that God had placed in front of her. And even for a better opportunity, I could have missed what God wanted to do in and through me here. For uh, 31 years. I could have missed that. Now, would God have blessed me in the other place? No doubt. I think we're blessed wherever we go. But there's some moments where God asks us, will you make the most of this opportunity in front of you? Will you let go of what's in your hand? See, God's multiplication in your notes begins with my subtraction. I let go and God blesses. So here's our story. It's, it's all O's, and we'll try to get through it if we can. The, the first O is opportunity. In uh, 1 Kings 17, 9, he says, I've commanded the widow to provide for you. Here was the opportunity. She was commanded to give. And if you ever look at giving and generosity or making a difference as an obligation rather than an opportunity, you will miss it. You will close your hands up, you will lock the doors, and you will miss what God wants you to do. It's not an obligation, it's an opportunity. I love this story the late Paul Harvey used to tell about Ben. Ben was eight years old. His local McDonald's, they had some kind of a drawing. He put his name in there while he was getting his, his uh, McNuggets or his McRib or whatever it was. And uh, McFlurry. 
And the manager called him and said, uh, Ben, you've won the brand new bike. And Ben came down. I mean, this bike, all the bells and whistles, beautiful bike. And he get the, gets the bike, puts it in his dad's truck, and they take it home. And Ben drives it down the end of the street and is not seen. His dad wonders where Ben went. He walked down into the street and sees Ben giving the bike to a kid on the street that didn't have a bike. And his father said, Ben, what are you doing? He said, Dad, this kid doesn't have a bike. And I have a bike. And my bike is fine. Uh, pretty cool. So, 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 so the, the, the lady who runs the McDonald's hears about this and brings Ben and his family to McDonald's for all-you-can-eat McDonald's and gives him a $100 bill because he was so kind and generous. And Ben went to the bike store the next day with his mom and bought a brand-new lock and a brand-new helmet to give to the kid down the street who got the new bike. And the gal from McDonald's called him back and said, What are you doing? I want you to invite as many people as you want for all you can eat night. So Ben went down to the family down the street where he gave the bike and said, I want to take you all out to dinner. Where are we going? McDonald's. We filled up one of the long tables and his family was there and this other family was there and another neighbor uh, was there with their family and Ben was just smiling from ear to ear. Eight years old. Where did he learn that? No doubt from his parents. He watched their generosity. He saw it in their hearts was something that we, we could say that, that God put in his life. We, we have been commanded to be like Ben. Somebody says, well, what's our, our why? What's our motivation? Uh, what, what's, what's our driving force to be people of generosity? It's called conversion. If you know Christ as your Savior, then that's your reason. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ and the blood of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he's washed you whiter than the snow, then your motivation is because I have been saved, because I've been converted, because I've been transformed from, from, from death to life, I will be a person who brings life to other people. That's my motivation. And I can sit back and say, well, let somebody else do it. Well, not if I'm a part of his kingdom. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's not just for preachers. That's for followers of Jesus. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and you go, yeah, pastor, I, I know about that. But here, here's my, just my loving challenge today. Is that a part of your life and your being? See, we should, we should get up every morning and say, I, I don't have to give, I, I get to give. I don't have to be generous, I get to be generous. I don't have to serve, I get to serve. I don't have to go to church, I get to go to church. I don't have to love others, I get to love others. I don't have to love my pastor, I... Okay, all right, that's harder, I get it. The, the second O is openness, openness. I want to applaud this lady today. We don't even know her name, other than she's the widow. She's the widow about to die. She was not tainted by fear, by greed, by concern about her tomorrows. She simply said, true assessment, I have no bread. You're asking me for what I don't have. Remember Peter and John at the gate a few weeks ago? He's begging for money. They don't have any money. They say, we don't have silver and gold. That could have been their excuse. It's the hour of prayer. We're going to pray. We don't have what you want. I'm out. 
Church is asking for what I don't have. I'm out. My neighbor wants what I don't have. I'm out. The lady could have said, I don't have any bread. I'm out. And as she was going to get it, he called, bring me, please, verse 11, the bread. I have a little flour. I have a little oil. I have a few sticks for the fire. You don't understand my situation, Mr. Prophet. We're about to die here. But isn't it interesting, we've said this in this series, that God will never ask you to do anything, to be anything, to give anything that he does not provide. He won't. lady some years ago said, uh, Pastor, we just found out we're pregnant. And her husband said, yeah, we're pregnant. I go, yeah, you? <laughs> I mean, husband, I know we're pregnant. I, I get it. I get it. We're pregnant. And she goes, how will I be able to raise this kid? I mean, just the thought of it was overwhelming to her. Some of you have been there. I got this other human being. I, I, and I remember saying these words to her. Besides the fact you've got to pray a lot. Besides the fact you need to learn from other parents. Learn all you can. I said this, these words. God will provide. And her husband said, yeah, you better. <laughs> God will provide. Listen, when we do all we can, when we, we research all we can, when we learn all we can, when we pray all we can, when we read the Bible all we can, when, when we have other people that, that, that mentor us and coach us all we can, then God shows up and says, man, I can use all that and I can help you make sense out of it. I will never call you to do anything, be anything, or give anything that I won't provide for. So she makes the cake. <laughs> it leads us to the third, oh, it's obligation. She could have said, I'm sorry, I have obligation here. I, I've got a family to raise. I, I got a kid to take care of. We're, we're about to die here. And I know you felt that. I felt that before. I have my own schedule. I have my own life. I have my own family. Especially when my, my kids were small. I have my own family. Now I have grandkids, the next generation. I, I've, I've got stuff. I've got, I've got, I've got friends. And, Lord, I'm sorry. I've got obligations here as though he doesn't know. Hmm. I've heard people say this. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the finances. I don't have the bandwidth for that. Come on. This is mine. It belongs to me, and we're going to eat it and die. And you know, I was thinking about our our block party coming up, and you know, sometimes people they give, they give me this look, like not you, not you, but he was, oh, gee, don't talk about reaching the community again. We're, we've had we've had enough. There's actually people who said I won't go to LFC because eventually they're going to ask me to serve there, and I don't want to go to a church that asked me to serve. Isn't that pretty? They didn't know I was overhearing them. At, Southside Coffee Shop. They were like, four square church. And I, I did this. Yes. But <laughs> four square church. If you go there, Esther, they're going to ask you to serve. Yes. Jesus is going to ask you one day. <laughs> kind of like the little boy with his lunch. They fed the multitudes. How many lunches were in the crowd that day? They're Jewish boys. Every Jewish mom sent their kid out with a lunch that day. <laughs> Someday, someday, Jesus is going to reach down and, and, and want your lunch. Just, just one meal, just one, just, just, just a pour. He never takes all your food. In this story, he does, but 
Make me a cake first. 1 Kings 17, 13. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you said, but first make me a cake. How is she going to do that when she doesn't have enough for him? I love this verse, Matthew 6, 33. You can read it with me. Let's, let's read it together. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these things... Oh, yeah. Put God first. Life works best when God is first. When God is first, things seem to work best in life. But he's got to be first. I heard a gentleman say this. A true story. He said to me, listen, I love my family. I said, good. We were having a conversation about his life. I love my family. I would die for my wife, he said. Good. I would die for my kids. Great. Wow. What do you think about that? I'm loyal. I'm responsible. My family. I would die for my family. He kept saying, "Yeah, I heard it. Great, great. You really love them, huh? Yep, love them. Do anything for them. Love them. My kid. Oh, my kids. Most awesome kids on the planet. Somebody else would argue with that, right? Because your kids are the most awesome, right? Yeah. So we're getting ready to leave, and I said, "Hey, by the way, I, I just I want to applaud your dedication and love for your family." But in this whole conversation, you said you'd do anything for your family. You would die for your family. I have a question. Will you live for God? No, really. Is that not a good question? Would you live for God? You, you would die for your family. Would you live for God? So people, say, people say this. I, I, I heard a guy say it. I, was like, I love my wife more than anything. <gasps> I'm bringing the cross out. You love your wife more than God? No, think, think about it. Well, it's just, it's just nomenclature, just language, it's just semantics. No, 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 listen, listen. I, I love my wife, but not more than God. I love my grandkids. I love my son and my daughter. I love them, but not more than Jesus. And I've worked really hard at making sure that, 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 that he comes first. But, 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 but see, I know people that would do anything for their kids, but they won't. Do anything for God. And some of you are going, okay, move on now. I get it. I get it. Let's go talk about the lady again. But I'm talking about you. Would you do anything for God? Would you stay someplace if you could make three times the salary elsewhere? Come on. By the way, that church already had a building. All done. We had to build this one. Huh? Would you base your decisions on the word of the Lord, on the spirit would you, would you base your description on, on, on uh, your decisions on the scriptures? Would you base your decision on leaning on God above everything else? Or would you base it on the best opportunity for yourself? I mean, th these are just legitimate questions when I'm talking to people. Because you know what Exodus 20 says? You shall have no other gods before me. You know what Deuteronomy 6 says, 5 and 6? Love the Lord your God with what? With, with all your heart. Yeah, with all your soul, with all your strength, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In other words, God is saying, you can love your wife, man, and love her more. You can love your husband, love him more. By the way, all the husbands want me to say that. Love him more. Pour it on thick. Love your kids. Love America. Love the flag. Stand for the flag. Well, that's controversial. I better be careful. I stand up and I put my hand over my heart. Thank you very much. And I personally respect my military. But pastor, that's not why they're protesting. I know, but don't do it in that moment. Find another moment to protest. Sorry, 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 sorry. 
I love God. I love my family. I love, love my country. Thank you very much. I support my military. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. Four people said yes. All right. All right. Hey, Deuteronomy 11, 1. Love the Lord your God and always obey his orders, rules, laws. In other words, God's saying, hey, hey, you love people, go right ahead, but you better love me first. Have no other gods before me. No one else gets his place. No one else gets to sit on the throne of your heart but God. All right, now I'm done preaching. We'll get back to the story. Number four is the offer. God makes us offers throughout the scripture. You, you, you put me first, I'll take care of you. You give me your first fruits, then I'll, I'll take care of you. And so in 1 Kings 7, 14, she She's told that, that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up. Your oil won't run out until God gives rain on the land. How many years? Two years. See, when you put God first, he always has a way of putting you first. When you take what's nearest his heart and put it nearest yours, he has a way of taking what's nearest your heart and putting it nearest his Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Let me ask you this question. What would your life look like this week if you determined to be a refresher? And not some kind of beverage, you know, I'm going to refresh people. But when you walk into the presence of somebody to refresh them with a word of affirmation, and a word of love, and a word of encouragement. Just, just think about that. I, I will tell you, most people that I encounter in the last three or four weeks are depleted. They're, 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 they're tired of the situation in our world. They're, they're tired of another natural disaster. They're tired of things like Las Vegas. They're tired of terrorism. They're tired of political division and rhetoric. And when you come to them with the heart of the Lord, with the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you refresh them, man, it is, excuse the word, refreshing. People love it. I, I, I talked to a couple of our first responders the other day, and I just said, hey, you guys, I just appreciate what you do. Thank you guys so much for being willing to do what you do. And you should have seen their countenance. And I know these guys, but, but when you do it and you're not real familiar with them, I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. The gal at um, four bucks the other day, I mean Starbucks, she, she, made, <laughs> she made my drink. Man, they were inundated with people. The new one's getting close to being done, wow, on ocean. And, and they were inundated with people, and I could see the weariness in them, making drinks. The drive-thru was full, and, and I just walked, hey, everybody, and they all turned around like, oh, no. <laughs> and I said, thank you guys for serving us so well. Now, I know I'm a bull in China shop. I'm loud. I'm big. I got it. I got it. And some of you, well, I would never say that. But when they give you your drink, you know, like Bernie, Ernie, Fernie. I've had all kinds of names. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cerny. <laughs> One day with Eric. How'd you get Eric out of Bernie? But anyway, you know, and I looked. They, they called me by name. And I looked at the gal. She had her badge on. And I called her by name. I looked at her, thanks for making my drink. And, and, and thanks for putting up with this small space to work in where you guys are crowded in here and the line is long. And by the way, there's 40 more cars waiting to get in. <laughs> and she goes, between that and the customer in the store and the app orders, 
We're inundated. And I said, hey, thank you for what you do. You should have seen her. And the rest of the time, she was like this, walking. Okay. How about your kids' teachers at school? How about getting your kids to thank them? How about thanking your kids' teachers at school? Can I say it again? How about thanking your kids' teachers at school? All right. Obedience, the next O. 1 Kings 17, 15. And she went away and did what the Lord had told her through Elijah, and there was food every day. See, obedience took place after the promise of the blessing, but before the blessing arrived. This is faith. Well, when the Lord blesses me with time, treasure, and, and, and talents, then I will... No, no, This is a blessing before the blessing comes. This is, this is obedience before there's anything. She makes the cake before her pots get filled. You, you catch that? She pours out the oil into the cake with the sticks and makes the cake for the prophet before the blessing comes. Some of you may know um, Ed Young, Jr., his dad, Ed Young Sr., pastors one of the largest churches in America, the third largest. And Ed Young had a full-ride scholarship to play for uh, Florida Seminoles in basketball. And he was good. He was good. He left after his first year. Most people thought he was crazy. And he went to seminary because he felt a call of God on his life. And he started Fellowship Church in uh, Plano, Texas, which is about an hour north of Dallas. He began his church with 150 people. People wondered what he was thinking. And uh, 28 years later, the church has several campuses and runs 23,000 people. It's the eighth largest church in America. And he still plays basketball, not as great as he did when he was a freshman for the Seminoles. But clearly, his, his life impacts more today than it would have if he played four years on a full-ride scholarship. Those are decisions that are tough to make. But when I hear his story, I go, man, that's a story of devotion. That's a story of, 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 well, a life that matters more than merely perfecting your jump shot. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with, with, with what? with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And sometimes being generous and being a difference maker is beyond our understanding. Doesn't seem to make sense. By the way, I want to give you a homework assignment. Proverbs 3, read the whole chapter. Just read it. Read all the wisdom that you can. Where, where, where Solomon says, let love and faithfulness never leave you where he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't be wise in your own eyes. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And it goes on and on about the blessings of God. And then, of course, the familiar passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart. This woman did all that God had asked her to do. And here's the lesson. God always solicits a response from you before you get to see the miraculous. Will you believe me? Will you step out? In faith. Somebody says, I want my sins forgiven. I want my guilt, my shame of my past to be gone. And he asks you, will you step out in faith? Will you believe that I am Jesus who died on the cross and rose again from the dead? You shall be saved. And then as you step into that, the cleansing starts to happen. Oh, sure. Positionally, 
you're wider than the snow. But experientially, it starts to happen. It, it works through a period of time where God changes you from the inside out. The miracle comes after the response takes place. And number six is, is this word overflow. I, I just had to write it down. Because in 1 Kings 17, 16, it says, for the jar of flour was not used up. I, I wish we could see that video. I, I, I saw a few videos that attempted to recreate it. It wasn't worth our time, so I didn't put it on screen. I, I, I wish I could have been there. She's just scooping it. It keeps growing. Hey, everybody. And the Bible tells us that her, her family came. Her family came. First cousins, second cousins, third cousins. They all came over for flour and oil and they were tortillas. Come on. And they all came over for tortillas and pico de gallo. Come on. Guacamole. I don't know what they had. All I know is that her whole family came. Why wouldn't they come? Everybody's dying because of famine. And she's feeding the prophet and she's feeding the rest of the people for two years. For two years. Somebody, somebody said, excuse me, it's trite, I know. You can't outgive God. It's true. Overflow. The lesson is as I subtract my rights of ownership to what I possess, then God has the opportunity to use and multiply it for his purpose. As I subtract my ownership, oh, by the way, the story goes on to say her son finally dies. <laughs> and then in verses 19 to 23, Eliza picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, look, now your son lives. This, this house, I don't know how big it was. It might have been a tiny house. It sure wasn't very big. It's two-story, we know that. Probably had a loft. And all we know is that this house is filled with miracles. The boy finally dies and gets raised back to life by the prophet. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a sermon where we're going to take a second offering, and I'm going to tell you, I actually watched a church that did this, and if you give like the woman did out of your lack, God will bless you, and we're going to give a second offering. I'm not doing that. <sighs> or if, if you're generous like her, then, then disease will never come to your house and all of you are going to be well. And if anybody you know dies, we'll bring them back to life and bring them to the prophet Bernie and I'll raise, her, raise them from the dead. I'm not going to be stupid and promise that to you. But I am going to promise you this. If you listen to the whispers that God gives to you to love, to be generous, to be kind, to have your life be about telling others the good news of Jesus, I'm going to tell you this. He's going to bless you abundantly. He's going to do things for you that are supernatural. He will empower you with abilities that are beyond what you know. He's going to bless your family like never before. You're going to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and everything we have belongs to God. And by the way, we're going to love God more than we love anybody else. We're going to love God more than ourselves. We're going to put God first in all things that we do. Some of you have yet to give your life to Christ. You need to do that. Give him your life. Say, here I am, Lord, take it. And some of you may need to look in that mirror from last week and say, I art the problem. And some of you may need to say, okay, God, I'll open my hands. Here's my time. 
Here's my talent. Here's my treasures. I will follow you. I will do what you ask me to do. I will make a difference in the lives of other people. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.